0: Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, I think we're finally ready to do message time. I want you to open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew and then Mark. And we're going to go to chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. This is the text for this morning. I want to read this. It goes like this Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. And he taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. This is Matthew, by the way. He saw C- Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. What a, what a diplomatic way of saying that. I like, the, I like the parenthetical statement here as well. Look at this. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. <laughs> and aren't you glad? But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, Saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call those, I have, call, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners drop the mic, right? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, this morning, the title of my message is Two Invitations. Two Invitations. If we read the text this morning, what you see is that there are two invitations. And we'll unpack that in a little bit. But first, we probably ought to do a little bit of backstory, maybe just a little bit of history. Jesus shows up and he invites Levi or he invites Matthew to come and be his disciple. And he invites Matthew at his tax collector's booth. And so one of the questions we have to discover is, what is Matthew doing and who exactly is he working for? Because these are actually important details. Well, here's probably who Matthew was working for. Probably Matthew was working for a guy named Herod Antipas. Anybody ever heard of Herod Antipas? Yeah. Well, how about this? Uh, You remember the beginning of the story in the Gospel of Matthew when it talks about King Herod? Okay. Different Herod. That's Herod the Great. But Antipas is one of his three sons. And when Herod the Great died, he divided his kingdom, which was essentially essentially most of Israel, he divided it up into three parts. And he gave one part to Antipas, he gave one part to Philip, and he gave one part to another son. And they were sort of like co-regents of all of Israel, and they were essentially working as puppet kings underneath Rome, if this makes sense. Does that make sense? So Rome is ruling the entire region, but then Rome has allowed a Jewish face to rule in front of them over the Jewish people, if that makes sense. So even though there's a Jewish face there, it's essentially, it's essentially a puppet kingdom. And so Matthew, who is a Jew, is working for Antipas, who is also a Jew, but really they're working for Rome, and he's collecting taxes. Now this was hugely unpopular, Hugely unpopular. And Matthew's probably working in a town called Capernaum. Anybody remember reading about the town called Capernaum in the in the in the Gospels? Yeah. This is one of Jesus' very favorite hangouts. Jesus spends a lot of time in Capernaum. And in fact, most of Jesus' miracles are actually in Capernaum. Most of Jesus' miracles and most of Jesus' best teaching happens in Capernaum or right around it. You know that whole summer on the mount thing? Just right outside of Capernaum. He loved this area. He loved this area. So this probably happens in Capernaum. And the reason Capernaum is sort of important is because it's kind of a gateway. It's a gateway between Antipas' uh, territory and Philip's. And if you were going to travel east out of Herod's territory into Philip's territory, you would go through Capernaum. And most likely what, uh, what Matthew was doing is he was collecting taxes, not just generally, but he was collecting taxes on the toll road. Most likely. Now here's the difficulty. This is hugely unpopular. And here's the reason it's hugely unpopular. It's unpopular because we have Jewish people living in their Jewish homeland... But now they're occupied by the Roman authorities. And imagine this. Imagine this is your land and it was your father's land and it was your father's father's land and it was your father's 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 land. And imagine that you lived here for hundreds of years, that God gave it to you, that Abraham was your uh, father by heritage. Uh, He promised it on an oath to Abraham, the land where your feet are, it is yours By God and then eventually uh, some Roman authorities come in and they take over. They set up a puppet kingdom and now the land that was yours free and clear is yours by tax only. It galls you. It galls you. And to make matters worse, every time you read the scriptures, every time you read the Torah, every time you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, every single time you read the prophets, it galls you even more. And Jesus shows up one day to a guy who is essentially a traitor, to a guy who is essentially sold out his people, working for the Romans, Jesus shows up to that guy one day, and he says to him, why don't you follow me, and then comma, and be my disciple. Follow me and be my disciple. And here's the crazy thing. Matthew just gets up and leaves. All right, now let's reframe this a little bit. Imagine that you have a government job. (laughs) Imagine that you have a good government job. By the way, Matthew wasn't struggling. Imagine that you have a good government job and a street preacher shows up and says to you, follow me and be like me. And imagine that you don't give a two weeks notice and you stand up and you follow him immediately. Who does that? Isn't it an amazing story? By the way, it seems as though every single time, almost, not every single time, but almost every single time that Jesus gives this kind of in, uh, invitation, people just drop what they're doing and they just go with them. Uh, Jesus does the same thing with with, uh, with James and John. They're on the boat with their father. He calls out to them and they jump off the boat and they leave their father and the Bible says, and their nets. <laughs> just done, we're just done. And we're following Jesus now. This is the first invitation In the story, it's the invitation from Jesus to Matthew to come and follow him. And it's the invitation to be his disciple. To be his disciple. Now, the invitation to be a disciple, that's a really important thing. The invitation to be a disciple is not the invitation to come and learn my teaching. The invitation to be my disciple is not the invitation to come and understand who I am. The invitation to be my disciple is not the invitation to come and and get your religious fix. It's not the invitation to come and and, and learn the Bible. Uh, It's not the invitation to come and uh, uh, eventually get enough answers to pass a test that's never going to be given. See, that's the way that we oftentimes arrange things at church. We, we sometimes assume that the point of Sunday morning is that I'm going to come and that you're going to come and that I'm going to give you information and then you're going to learn things so that eventually you can pass a test that will never be given. That's really not what's on offer from Jesus at all. The spiritual life is actually not really about information acquirement. The, the call to come and be a disciple from Jesus to Matthew is the call to come and be like me. Be exactly like me. This is what it was for uh, a, a rabbi to take on disciples. When a rabbi called and made disciples he would call people and have them come follow him. And by the way, when Jesus called his disciples to come and follow him, he wasn't doing a new thing. He was doing something that was had been going on for hundreds of years. Rabbis called disciples all the time to come into them. And this is what what it meant. It meant that the, the, the students, the disciples would come to the rabbi and they would live with him and they, they would live with him until they lived exactly like him until they became exactly like him. That's what the call to be a disciple is. It's not to just know what Jesus knows. It's to live like Jesus lives until you are exactly like Jesus. That's what the call is. And so Jesus comes to a traitorous, probably rich, tax-collecting Jew who was wildly unpopular, get this, by his own people. And he says to the traitorous tax-collecting Jew who was wildly unpopular among his own people, he says, I want you to be on my team so that you can be exactly like me. It's wonderful. It's wonderful because it shows us Who Jesus is interested in. Who Jesus is interested in. See, here's the thing. Matthew wouldn't have been popular with anyone. In every single way, he would have been a social outcast. He wouldn't have been on the inside of anyone's homeboy club. Except for maybe the other tax collectors who were also equally excluded. This is... Really a big deal. Uh, How many of you know that if you're going to start a team or if you're going to start an an organization and you hope to have some sort of cultural shift or maybe you want to change the world, how many of you understand that you don't start with the losers? (laughs) Hey, I'm going to start a new company and here's what I'd like to do. I would like to recruit the worst people I could find. Uh, How many of you have ever heard the phrase uh, in, in American culture, upward mobility? Anybody here heard the phrase upward mobility? Yeah, apparently Jesus is into downward mobility. The gospel of the kingdom of heaven seems to work the exact opposite. Jesus didn't go and look for the most talented. He didn't look for the most popular. You know, if you were going to start something that was going to be like a cultural shift, one of the things you oftentimes want to do is you want to go find the tastemakers and you want to go find the, uh, the cultural icons. And if you can get them to come and be, be a part of what you're doing, then that adds credibility. Uh, in fact, what Jesus does is the opposite. He invites people who actually take credibility away from what he's doing. And by the way, Christians are the most guilty of this. Uh, One of the things we're always wanting to do is we're really... Have you ever noticed how people get super excited? Like if a really famous athlete says something about God after a game. Or if a really famous musician says that they actually uh, believe in God. And then all the Christians are like, yeah, we're finally validated. Uh, Jesus never does that. He, he just never does that. In fact, he does the opposite of that. He goes and finds the people with the worst reputation. He finds the least, the lost, and the losers. And he invites them to come onto his team. Not just to be on his team and be around him and, and be, you know, have the honor of, of having social interactions with them. But he invites them onto his team so that they might be like him. This is very interesting for me for a couple reasons. Number one, it shows us who's G, who Jesus is interested in the most. I can tell you who Jesus Jesus loves everybody, but the truth is He is almost always most exclusively interested in the least, the lost, and the losers. Now He loves the He loves the famous people. It's just they don't have any room, and so He just moves on. But Jesus is so interested in the least, the lost, and the losers. If you find the poor, if you find the needy, if you find the outcast, if you find people that no one else can say a good thing about, you just found somebody that Jesus is probably working really closely with and would really like to have on his team. Now, it also is interesting to me for this reason. It shows us the degree to which Jesus is confident that he can change a person and make them something brand new. Sometimes we don't have much confidence in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we don't have much confidence in Jesus to change people. But I have supreme confidence in Jesus' ability to do something new with somebody who's nobody because he constantly brings those kinds of people on and if he's bringing those kinds of people on and if he's bringing them on first, what this tells us is that the gospel of the kingdom of God, that the seed of the kingdom, that the yeast of the kingdom, that the work of Jesus most grabs traction with the people we thought it was going to work the least in Jesus has confidence in his ability to form disciples I'm convinced that he picked people like Matthew because he wanted to show us that if I can do it with him I can do it with anybody he also chose people like Matthew because he's saying to us his choice of Matthew was a word to Matthew but it was also a word to wider culture can you see that? It's a word to Matthew because it is God saying, you are mine and I've come for you. But it's also a word to wider culture because it is God saying, I can work with the least, the lost, and the loser. I can work with people who have no reputation. I can work with people who who, who don't have any personal gravity. That's who Jesus can work with. That's really interesting to me. And so that's the first invitation in the story. It's the invitation of Jesus to Matthew saying, Come and be my disciple. By the way, it's the same invitation that Jesus extends to everybody in this room. Come and be my disciple. Wonderful. scrolling i don't know where i'm at (laughs) Yeah. oh there i am now i'm back on course if we can put the scripture back up connor that'd be great yeah so the first invitation is from jesus to matthew follow me and be my disciple and matthew does it but then look at verse 15 it's the second invitation Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Isn't it interesting? First, Jesus invites Matthew to come and be his disciple. And then Matthew turns around and invites Jesus to be his dinner guest. I want you to notice that at this moment, in verse 15... That Matthew is already becoming like Jesus in a really tiny way. How? Well, he's becoming an includer. He's becoming an inviter. Not only that, but he's inviting dangerous people into his company. Because Jesus was dangerous. But it does seem that there's something about included, being included that empowers people to be includers. That seems to be what's going on here. Matthew gets included and then somehow that gets deep in his heart and it empowers him to begin to be an includer. So he's already becoming a disciple of Jesus. But what I see here as well is that it seems that these two invitations represents, they represent two modes of being Jesus' disciple. And the, the first is this. The first is being invited into Jesus' life. Uh, and that's about being pursued by God. That's about being found. That's about being included. That's about leaving the former thing, our former life, and then picking up a new thing. Uh, in this mode, we're being led into a new direction. And every single one of us needs to hear and respond to the invitation of God to go into a new direction. Every single one of us needs to hear and respond to the invitation of God that we've been included, that we've been found, that we've been wanted, and that he has got a spot for us on his team, and that we can go into a new direction that we never thought we'd go. We, everybody here needs that. Um, but there's also there's also another mode, uh, and it is the mode of inviting Jesus into our life when jesus invites us into his life that's an outward leaning phase of discipleship but when we begin to invite jesus into our life this is the inner phase of of discipleship with jesus every single disciple needs to have an outward journey but then every single disciple of jesus needs to have an inward journey let me just talk for a second here about the inward journey See, when Matthew invites Jesus into his house as a guest, uh, how many of you understand that house always represents uh, that which is personal, that which is intimate, uh, that which can be secretive, that which is uh, most tender, and that which is most vulnerable in our lives? See, not everybody comes to our house. It's only our our closest friends. And the closer that you get in with somebody, the more that you live with them, the more who they really, really are becomes evident. Right? How many of you had a friend when you were little and you were like best friends at school and then they invited you to their house and you went over and spent the night and you were like, wow, these people are nuts. (laughs) It's like, I can't wait to get home. Right? Yeah, there's something about... There's something about a, a person's home space that is that is that is personal that is intimate that is vulnerable and that is in many ways it represents the thing that's closest to us it's the inside. And so Matthew is invited by Jesus to be his disciple. That is an outward journey into the world. And then, because of that, Matthew begins to invite Jesus into his own home. That's the inward journey. When Matthew invites Jesus into his own home, he's inviting him into his personal space. Uh, This is another way of saying he's inviting him into the secrets of his heart. Those places that, that Jesus maybe didn't have access to before. All of those things that happen at home. All of those things that are the foundations for our life. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means following Jesus out into the wider world. But it also means giving Jesus an invitation into our actual lives. Now, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that a lot of times, well, maybe you and definitely me, we tend to be people who do one or the other. Uh, we, we tend to be wired by, by personality, by DNA, by our upbringing, whatever you want to call it or some combination of it all. We tend to be wired... To be the kind of people who lean in one direction or another. Some of us are more comfortable with Jesus inviting us to be his disciple. To go and do a thing in the world. To take an outward journey with Jesus. And then others of us are more comfortable inviting Jesus into our home. Inviting Jesus into our life and taking an inward journey with Jesus. But the real real mark of true disciples is that we have to hold these two things together. We need to take an outward journey with Jesus. And we also need to take an inward journey journey with jesus they they have to happen and in fact the text kind of shows us that one leads to the other when jesus comes and gives you that invitation that the outward invitation of jesus should cause us to respond with a return invitation to come and investigate our home if jesus were coming to your house would you clean it up See, here's the thing, if we only take an outward journey with Jesus, we'll have some great experiences. If we only take an outward journey with Jesus, if we follow him around, if we do what he says, if we learn his teaching, if we help him pray for the sick, if we help him... Cast out devils, if we help him raise up the lame, if we help him preach good news to the poor. How many of you understand that all of those activities will change your life? But if those activities are divorced from the inward journey of bringing Jesus into the intimate places of our life, if it gets divorced from that as well, then we become a kind of person who will spin out of balance. Have you ever met the person who only took outward journeys with Jesus? Yeah. there There is a certain kind of excitement that comes with going on outward journeys with Jesus. Uh, it, it's fun to do Jesus things. Uh, it, it also makes us feel valuable. Uh, it, it gives us something to do. And by the way, there is an aspect of the kingdom God, of God that is about let's go and do a thing. Let's go into a new town. Let's extend some borders. Uh, some of us are way more comfortable with the idea of... Ex- expanding kingdom borders let's go find the kingdom of god in a new place and and let's plant a work let's do a thing let's find people let's preach good news let's pray for the sick let's uh let's let's find the least and the lost let's welcome them in let's do all of these things but if we become the kind of people who do that kind of ministry if we take that kind of journey with jesus without ever doing the other side of the work of inviting jesus into our home oh man it could lead to disaster How many of you know that you can know how to do Jesus' stuff and still not be like Jesus? Yeah. Can I tell you something? This is one. This is the scariest thing that I know in the kingdom of God. I'm going to tell you the scariest thing that I know in the kingdom of God. Okay? Can we all just get a pee chill right now? <laughs> the scariest thing that I know in the kingdom of God is that you, can, that you can heal the sick, you can raise the dead, you can cast out devils, you can cleanse lepers, and you can preach good news to the poor, and you can still be an unconverted, terrible person. Jesus says this much in Matthew chapter 7. He says, some are going to come to me on that day. Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And Lord, didn't we do X, Y, and Z? And he's going to say, get away from me, I never knew you. I can't tell you how many people I've met that were anointed in ministry, but then when you got to really know them, they were not fun people. Listen, guys, let's never, ever, ever, ever be too impressed with anointing in ministry. It's an outward journey with Jesus. It is necessary. It is vital. We have to have it. It's part of the kingdom, but that in itself is not the only thing. Don't be too impressed with somebody who preaches good. Don't be too impressed with somebody who has a prophetic gift that's pretty accurate. Don't be too impressed with people who can heal the sick. Don't be too impressed with people who have gifts of ministry. Listen, you guys, that's a part of God's kingdom, but it's only half. It's the outward journey with Jesus. We also have to have the inward journey with Jesus. Now, what happens if you take an inward journey of Jesus and you don't take the outward one? well you get inbred you, you, you become you become the kind of person who's convinced that that, that that the only thing that matters is what God is doing in my life right you become the kind of person who is an emotional drain on everyone <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for diplomatic words I'm having a hard time finding them but you know what I mean if you become committed to the inward journey of Jesus, if you become committed to, to taking Jesus into the intimate spaces, bringing him into your home, bringing him into your heart, bringing him into the hard things in your life, bringing him into your closets. By the way, we've got to get Jesus in our closets, church, okay? <laughs> Every single closet, okay? You got to get Jesus into your money closet. You got to get Jesus into your sex closet. You got to get Jesus into uh, how you treat people. That closet too. You got to get. But if we become the kind of people who only bring them in and we never go on the outward journey with Jesus, oh my gosh, we just become emotional drainage for everyone that we're around. We just become. It's weird. It's weird. You would think. You would think. That inviting Jesus and taking the inner journey with Jesus would automatically make you a more effusive, light, uh, happy and joyous person. But divorced from the outward journey with Jesus, it actually won't. It will only perpetuate your sense of need and you will, and it's weird, you'll never get filled up. You will only become a taker, you'll never be a giver. So what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, church? It means we have to take two journeys. And here's the thing. We're always taking these two journeys at the same time. We're always taking them at the same time. It's the outward journey with Jesus. Hey, Matthew, why don't you come and follow me? And then, hey, Jesus, why don't you come into my life? Why don't you come into my house? No, I just want to talk to both sides here for a second. Uh, Some of us have taken a pretty good inner journey with Jesus. And the word of the Lord to you is now, you need to leave your tax collecting booth for the love of God And you need to go and take an outer journey with Jesus. Like you literally need to stop for a moment with all the prayer ministry. And with all of the inner work. And you need to go put some of that into practice in the real world. Let's go find it. Go live it out a little bit. Go and follow Jesus. Find Jesus at work. Find Jesus at school. Find Jesus in your neighborhood. Find him outside. He's out there somewhere leave your life and go find him. But some of us have been doing the outer work. We've been following Jesus on an outer journey. And and here's the thing. Some of us have never done the inner work. We've never really invited him into our lives. And we've failed to somehow capture the character of Jesus. And, And the word of the Lord to you is, oh my goodness, you have got to take an inner journey with Jesus. Like your issues have got to stop being your issues. Like you can't continue to be an anointed person who's mostly bitter. And by the way, you can be an anointed, bitter person. (laughs) You got to take an inner journey with Jesus. You can't continue to be an anointed person who heals the sick, but has a sick heart. Listen, God, God will oftentimes anoint your outward journey. Even if, even if you've never taken the inward journey, because He loves the people that you're ministering to so much. But without doing the inner work, it will ruin us. The more we take an outer journey with Jesus, divorced from an inner journey with Jesus, eventually the seeds of pride take over, and we think that I'm the one who's doing this, and it isn't God. And pretty soon I replace the Jesus journey with a self-aggrandizing journey, and then it becomes really dangerous. Really, really dangerous. I mean, I can't tell you. We could, we could tell stories all day long of people who took amazing out journeys with Jesus and never did the inner work. And it's so sad, you guys. Like, I don't even want to mention names. There's some names we could talk about. I don't even want to mention names. People who have done this stuff but never went inside and their lives are, it's Jesus' parable. It's the parable of, of the guy who kicked out one demon, but he didn't replace it Any Seven more came back worse. It's Gosh, that happens. It's got to do the inner work. So if you've never, what does it mean to do the inner work with Jesus? On the most basic level, to do the inner work with Jesus means actually getting really honest with God about who you are. And letting Jesus come into your life and appraise it. Letting him appraise it. Matthew invites Jesus to his house, and who's there? Bunch of sinners. All the scum. Here's what's great, and here's the, the amazing word of encouragement to us this morning. If we will step up to the plate to invite Jesus into our actual life, if we will not sugarcoat who we really are before God, if we will hold it before him. If you read this passage carefully, what you'll notice is that we will get the defense of God on our behalf. Some of us need a defender. Here's here's one of the ways you get a defender. Invite Jesus into your actual house. Invite Jesus into your actual life. And when the scoffers begin to scoff, Jesus will say, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know their sins. It's okay to go, Oh God, I need you to come and do the work. Come into my life. Begin to hold before the Lord who we really are. And let's just talk about who we really are. I'll tell you who we really are. We are addicted people. Some of us are taking the outer journey, but we've never done the inner journey of letting God touch our addictions. Listen, you, you, you you can't do that. We have got to hold our addictions out to God. We've got to invite them in. Some of us here are medicating. Uh, some of us are medicating with alcohol. Some of us are medicating with buying things. Some of us are medicating with pills that we get from the doctor and we feel justified by it because we can get a prescription for it. Some of us are medicating with... Uh, with, 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 with gosh, we could, that list is too long. We, we just medicate. Listen, we have to do the inner journey. We have to do the How do we do that? Well, we, in, we invite Jesus into our actual life. And we're probably going to have to share that life with somebody else as well. You know? So, you know, here's the thing. If your marriage stinks, if your marriage stinks, that's a place to invite Jesus in to be, and to begin to do an inner journey with Him. If your marriage stinks, and you've been married for a good long while, Uh, If you've been married for two or three years and it's not turning out to be what you thought it would be, well, this is a place where you can take an inner journey with Jesus. And what does that mean? It means probably, like, get a counselor. Like, seriously. Seriously. Get a counselor. There are really smart people who can help you with those things. There are really smart people who can help you weed through all of the issues and, and line them out and go, well, let's just work on this one for a while. You know, you're not called to be a miserable couple. And here's the thing. You can be anointed in ministry and have a terrible marriage. You got to do an inner journey. That's a place where you can take an inner journey with Jesus. Get a counselor. Uh, get one who's here. Oh, get one in Louisville. Go to Louisville once a month. And have marriage counseling with your wife. You'll get an hour and a half drive up. You'll get an hour on somebody's couch. It'll cost you 150 bucks. It'll be the cheapest thing you ever did. And you'll get a good dinner somewhere. And you'll get another hour and a half drive back. And you'll be best friends in a year. An inner journey with Jesus. Invite Jesus in. Uh, what, what if? What if? What if? Uh, what if you're actually secretly addicted to X, Y, Z? What if you're addicted to pills? You're addicted to pornography. What if you're addicted to alcohol and nobody knows? Well, then it's time to take an inner journey with Jesus. Can I tell you what? You can fake it through all of those addictions for a while. You can keep doing the outer journey with Jesus, and everybody will think it's great. People will ask you to come and lead home groups. People will ask you to come and do XYZ and see people will say would you please lead worship for me would you show me how you do your thing but on the inside you're addicted to pornography on the inside you're taking two Percocets before you even get out of bed in the morning on the inside uh, you're drinking uh, drinking a bottle of wine before you go to bed because you can't sleep because you're so filled with anxiety on the outside you're anointed and everybody thinks it's great but you never invited Jesus into your actual house what do you do You you gotta get an inner journey with God you, you, you need a spiritual director. You, you need a friend that you can be honest with. You need to begin to multiply who you really are in, in this body. You need to be honest with somebody who's here. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's somebody else. Uh, it could be anybody else. Uh, maybe you need to go to a counselor again. Goodness gracious. Those are things we have to do. Outer journeys and inner journeys. And if we've taken the inner journey for a long time, then church, it's time to take the outer journey. It's time to look beyond ourselves and beyond my issues and beyond the fact that my dad didn't treat me right and my mom was a pill head. It's time, to, it's time to, to take the outer journey with Jesus and go, you know what? Uh, life with God is more than just what he's trying to heal me of. He is, he is working goodness into the world and I can be an emissary and I can be an ambassador of that. It's not either or, it's both and we have to take two journeys with Jesus. Hmm. I don't know how to say anything else. Hmm. So here's what I think the Lord's doing. I, I think he's inviting us and I think we need to take stock, even right, like right now. Have I been mostly an outer journey or an inner journey person? And if I have been, then it's time to wake up just a little bit. Course correct. And here's the deal. Let's don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? If you've been an inner journey person, let's just wake up to the outer journey without throwing the inner journey away. What else is the inner journey? A prayer and Bible. Prayer and reading your Bible. That's the inner journey. Please, please, church, read your Bible, pray. It helps. It really does. It really does. This is the inner journey as well. But if you've been a, mostly a prayer and mostly a Bible study person and you've never talked to your neighbors about Jesus... Oh my gosh, you got to talk to your neighbors about Jesus. And you don't have to walk over and do something real awkward either. Hello, I'm here to talk to you about Jesus. Would you like to read? No, no. Just cook cook them a meal. Like throw a party in your neighborhood and over the course of a year, begin to let people know that you're a generous and you're an affectionate family who has more room at your table than you have seats. You know? That's the outer journey with Jesus. Like if, if you've been living in a neighborhood for two years and you don't know any of your neighbors, you haven't taken an outer journey with Jesus. Jesus would know his neighbors. I know this seems so plain, right? This is the outer journey with Jesus. Some of us are like, man, I'm really frustrated with church. I'm really frustrated with the spiritual life. You know, this whole Jesus thing is like, I thought it was super cool when I was 20 and now I'm 30 or 35 or 40 and I'm thinking it's kind of, huh? Well, maybe maybe we just haven't done, maybe you haven't followed in Jesus' footsteps because the disciples' path, it's never just, huh? It's either roll on the floor laughter or break your heart tears, but it's never, huh? I can tell you that right now. Following Jesus is either I'm rolling in the floor laughing or I'm bawling my eyes out. But it's never just, hmm. Inner and outer journeys. Inner and outer journeys. Yeah. Mm. I feel the Lord. He's here. The kindness of Jesus is here. Some of us feel like we've totally ruined our lives. Some of us feel like we have like the worst reputation in the world. Uh, Good news. He will call you onto his team. (laughs) Everybody in Campbellsville can think you're a jerk. And Jesus will put you on his team. (sighs) Yeah. It's a good thing. Um, Why don't we do this? Why don't you guys stand? If you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Love you, Lord. Amen. We welcome you here. Hey, even before we pray, I just feel like the Lord gave me maybe a couple words of knowledge. Not even words of knowledge, just like prophetic words. Uh, Hey, um, as soon as we just did this test, I just, I I saw, I saw like a birthday cake over you. And um, I just, I feel like this is a season of celebration for you and Kyle. And I just, I feel like this is going to be a season of joy. But it's not just a season of joy. There's something about the birthday cake that mo- that marks milestones, and I feel like there's there's just been some things that have happened and are going to happen, which are like, going to be like they're just markers, and they're reasons to celebrate. And I just feel like the Lord says, just go with it. Just like there's so much joy, there's so much celebration, there's so much life, there's like new life, and there's just it's just effusive, and it's all around you. And um, does that make any sense? I, I just I, I just see that. Yeah, and Jenna, I just, I saw, um, here's a, I just saw, I saw you holding two lanterns, uh, one in each of your hands, and um, I saw that they were so, it's so weird, you were on such, you have, you have walked down so many paths, and I saw these two lanterns, and they were so incredibly bright, they shine so bright out to the front, and um, I really feel like the reason you have two lanterns is you have light for yourself, but you also have light for other people, and um i feel like god has given you uh, uh gifts of i know you're a counselor I, but i know that god has given you gifts of counsel and and i feel like some of the light you have it's it's really for other people uh you have been given not just light for yourself but you've been given light for others and and uh there's just a the lanterns of god uh you have light from god and um I just saw, then I saw what I saw was that as you were walking your path, people just began to kind of come in behind you, and I feel like this is a time when God's going to just begin to give you people in a way that He's never given you people who are going to follow you. I feel like in some ways you've mostly, uh, up to this point in your life, you've you've been pretty hidden, but now this is a time for you to, to emerge in a new way, because uh, God has given you some real light, and you've you've. You've really watched over that light well, and now there's just some people who need to follow in behind you. I feel like you've taken a journey that other people need to take. I also feel like that you're gonna that, that part of your gift uh, here, but then just wider in your whole life, no matter where you and Glenn are, is to take people on inner journeys, yeah. to open up the inner journey in a in a way that's accessible, especially for people who are mostly external journey people. If that makes sense. All right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and Christina, I just felt like the Lord, I, I only heard one thing. It was really, really small and really simple. I just heard the Lord say, don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about one single thing. Yeah. Mm. All right, Lord, we just, we ask that you would, um, God, we ask that you would open up the inner and the outer life for us. God, we ask that you take us on a journey. God, for those of us who have journeyed outside with you and have done the works of ministry and have done the stuff but have never taken an inner journey with you, God, would would you give us grace to do the inner work? God, for those of us who have taken inner journeys but never ventured outside with you, God, would you give us the courage to go outside? We pray this in the name of Jesus, who has journeys inside and journeys outside for every single person. Amen. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.